Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your hosts, I am Masa. Hello everybody, and I'm Sean. We hope that you are cuddled up with your animal companions and ready for this exciting episode. In all of our previous episodes, we have been talking about what the Constructional Approach is and our goal of building a better relationship with our animal companions. In this episode, we are excited to talk about how everything that we have covered so far will come together in this awesome new way of training called constructional affection. That's right, and constructional affection is a procedure that originally started with dogs but has since been used with many different types of animals. And this procedure requires, you know, no use of food treats, no clickers, no punishment, no aversive methods. The only thing that we need to participate in this kind of procedure is just ourselves, our animal companion, and our affection. And I really think that this episode will have a lot to offer many different types of people because uh, this procedure can really be helpful to anyone that works in a place where they spend a lot of time around animals, especially zoos with outreach programs and veterinary clinics. So I'm excited to do this episode with everybody. Let's begin. So Sean, One thing I would like to share with the listener is that construction affection was developed by you while you're going through undergraduate and master's degree in the University of North Texas while working with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. Would you like to share a little bit of a history of the development of this procedure? Yeah, for sure. But um, to tell the history of constructional affection, I would like to bring everyone's attention back to... um, two dogs that I've mentioned, or two stories that I've shared about two dogs over these past four episodes. And um, the first one will be Roxy from our last episode, and then the other dog that I'm going to come back to will be Bruce from episode one. And um, I want to say, though, that the history of constructional affection, you know, actually comes before, you know, these moments with these two dogs. And constructional affection was already in the works and um you know all of this work that i had done in animal shelters and even the development of constructional affection all of this work was done um alongside a close friend and colleague of mine chase owens and at this point you know we had already been volunteering together in the animal shelter for a while and we both had our own private dog training businesses and we had come across these dogs and we would talk about it a lot um these dogs that just you know they might take the food, but, you know, it's just not really generally effective, you know, in, in changing behavior. And um, so we would kind of sit around and we would brainstorm, you know, about these situations. And eventually we'd come to realize that, you know, when dogs are jumping on us, that, you know, they're telling us something. They, they want our affection. They want our attention. That's true. And um, so we started, you know, talking about these different scenarios and how it might look, you know, to you know, apply, you know, to where we would pet for this and wouldn't pet for these things. And we'd kind of iron it out a little bit. Mm. But um, then we found ourselves in front of Roxy. Mm. And as you remember, she was getting herself into a little bit of trouble, being a little bit too jumpy and other things. And um, I had mentioned in that last episode about Roxy that um, we had used a procedure that, that gave her affection and attention in the same way that we were giving food treats before to teach her how to calmly sit and receive our affection. And um, 
it was really effective and mm. it got Chase and I really excited and you know that that's really what we were at the animal shelter to do we really wanted to be there to make a difference and they had a slogan and so do many other animal shelters you know about finding their forever home mm-hmm. and this is something that Chase and I both really took to heart and we really wanted to make sure that all of our you know animals in the shelter found their forever homes and so when Roxy was, you know, when we were successful with her, it got us excited. But what got us more excited was seeing the impact it had on the other shelter staff and on the volunteers. And then finally, the family that yeah. adopted her. Yeah. And they sent us that wonderful letter. And that was really, you know, reflective to Chase and I that we were on to something really big here. That what we had done with Roxy was really monumental towards moving her to her forever home. And, um, you know, that was exciting for us. And that was a catalyst that kind of led us new to keep doing this. But then we um, ran into Bruce. Mm. And um, when we were able to get such amazing change out of Bruce so quickly, um, that really let us know that this was something very important that we needed to get out to the public. And at that point, we really started focusing on the procedures and the fine details of constructional affection because we wanted to get it out there and get it out to these people. And one thing that we started to notice after working with Bruce and starting to do free group classes for people that were adopting from our shelter, we started to see that, you know, constructional affection wasn't necessarily like an isolated training thing, kind of like what we do with, you know, most other training programs that we take part in that this was really more of a way of living, Mm -hmm. a way of living with our animals. Mm -hmm. And we knew that if we could teach this to other people, that it would really ensure that our animals found their forever homes. That is a beautiful history behind the development of construction affection. Listening to your story, it reminded me of our mentor, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. He always said to us that the organism is always talking to you. And Roxy was telling you what she wanted, which was your affection, and you were smart enough to listen to Roxy. And once you change the consequence from food treats to affection, the changes in her behavior took place really quickly, and she could easily do the behaviors to different people. And once this occurred, the enthusiasm from the staff, the volunteers, and the family, the whole community was immense and huge. It seems like this really provides a great way for animals to interact with those around them, to kind of talk to their humans. They all now have a way of asking someone for the affection that they desire. And this makes me think of a question, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners may be thinking. And that is if our affection can also maintain undesirable behaviors. I'm sure it's easy for most of us to imagine affection can maintain good behaviors, but can it also be true with undesirable behaviors? Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, the, the short answer to that is, is yes. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit because it even kind of gets to one of our main points that we've mentioned before about constructional affection during previous episodes being that we we like to look at this as more than just an isolated training moment, and we like to look at it more of a, like a way of living with our dogs. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, the, our affection or, or our attention, you know, can come in a variety of different ways. And sometimes it can be, you know, us verbally mm. interacting with them. It can be petting them. It can be giving them what some people call happy slappies where you're kind of mm-hmm. happily patting your dog on the hip or something like that. Um, it can be playing with them, giving them food, scolding them even sometimes. Mm. And, and so, you know, getting to our attention, maintaining problem behavior or, or undesirable, you know, undesirable behavior. Um, it reminds me of, uh, of a study that I did with Chase and a handful of other members of ORCA at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a, a study in an animal shelter with a bunch of dogs that, you know, engaged in a bunch of these types of barky and nippy and jumpy behaviors And um, we showed in that study that, you know, our attention can easily maintain these. And for example, like a dog that's jumping up on on your chest, um, when you go to push them down, sometimes that interaction of pushing them down and them jumping back up and getting pushed down seems to be like a fun enough game or something to the dog to, you know, keep that going. Mm. And even same thing goes when you're trying to like punish it, so to say, we would have a dog jump up on someone and they'd say no and, Mm. you know, step back. And that also, you know, seemed to be just, you know, fun enough, you know, to keep that going. And so, yes, um, you know, sometimes the way that we're interacting with our dogs can easily keep it going. And one that I'm sure a lot of our listeners has probably seen before, maybe even been a part of, um, sometimes when our dogs are barking at things outside of the house and we yell, you know, yeah, Sparky, be quiet. (laughs) Um, you know, and then the dogs, you know, they even sometimes start to bark louder and Uh. and it's almost like to them, they're like, Oh great. You know, our humans joining us, let's, you know, keep this going. Uh. And so sometimes even us trying to stop the behavior, that interaction can sometimes be enough to keep it going. And that's why we really want to stress the other side of this thing. And, you know, start to not focus so much on these things that we don't want to see continue and start to put our time and our attention directly and intentionally on the good behaviors that our dogs are doing. Because, you know, um, I I can't think of a single dog in my, you know, I think 14 or 16 years or something of dog training. I, I don't think even the worst dog that I've, you know, seen has ever not shown really good moments. And so if we can start even with that dog that seems unworkable and untrainable and start to find those good moments and focus our attention there, you know, we'll eventually see a change in their behavior. And I like to say that, you know, a change in their behavior is inevitably going to be shown reflected in a change of what we would call their personality. And so that once really hyperactive and untrainable dog will then become that amazing, wonderful, calm companion that, you know, we always desired. It's interesting how from the perspective of the dogs, what we might find punishing, they might find rewarding or vice versa. And you bring up an interesting point that construction affection is more than just a training procedure, but also a way of living with our animal companions. Could you please elaborate on this? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, this really gets to the heart of the the, the line that's dividing constructional affection as a training procedure and constructional affection as a philosophy. Mm. And um, constructional affection as a procedure is, is the, it really consists of what we call the interaction guidelines. 
and this uh, component called the affection loop. Mm -hmm. And we will talk about both of those when we start getting a little bit deeper into the procedure itself. But the philosophy is really about, you know, being constructional and keeping your eyes out for these things that we want to look for that our dogs are doing that's really good. Mm. And, um, and that also gets to the, the goals that we had actually set for constructional affection, which is to teach animals how to um, ask for and receive affection. And typically, like when we're working with dogs, it is to uh, calmly approach with all four feet on the ground and then to sit or lie down. And we pick those behaviors because those are ones that are really common in just about every dog's repertoire. Mm. Um, like I said earlier, even the worst dog is going to have moments when they're behaving really well. And, you know, even the worst dog out there, eventually they got to sit or lay down. Right. True. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you give a dog enough time, they're, they're going to engage in that behavior that we can start from and begin shaping from. And for us, we chose sitting and lying down. And not only is it a behavior that is really common in just about every dog's repertoire out there, but it's also one that is generally acceptable by just about every human out there. Mm -hmm. When dogs are, are sitting and lying down next to us, you know, they're not really usually, you know, perceived as any kind of threat. It's usually perceived as being a pretty polite, pretty enjoyable thing. And, um, and so that, that's something that, that, you know, gets to the heart of what we've talked about before, about being mutually enjoyable. It's something that we enjoy, and it's something that they can easily do, and we can start building some really good moments from there. And so that's really the line of fracture between constructional affection as a training procedure. That's the isolated moments when we're actually going through the interaction guidelines and using the affection loop to shape behaviors to new situations and then constructional affection as a philosophy is really about just making sure that we're giving our affection during these moments when our dogs are being very well behaved and very sweet and calm. That's a great point. And the next question I would like to ask you is that why is it important for a dog trainer or someone in animal outreach program to teach their animal social behaviors through constructional affection rather than some other training methods? Right. And, and that really kind of gets to the point of how constructional affection is maybe a little bit different than most other training programs out there. And especially when concerning behaviors that might be a social concern, like where our animals are interacting with other people or even other animals. And in those types of behaviors, really the, the reinforcers should be on that social interaction itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have an outreach animal or if we've got, a, you know, some kind of dog in a therapy situation or something like that, um, if we are making all of those behaviors, you know, contingent around, you know, receiving some kind of food reward, we don't really, we can't really say for sure if that's something that the animal enjoys doing. You know, mm -hmm. just because they do it doesn't mean that they like it, especially if there's food involved. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, especially if in that moment, the only way to obtain that food is to go through these behaviors that we want them to do. Mm -hmm. And that can often lead us to situations where we're kind of like having to force our dog into the, into the situation or or having to force our bird or snake or whatever the animal might be in the outreach program into these situations where we're not even sure if it's something that they want to do. Mm -hmm. And so when using constructional affection for these situations, I see it different in two major ways. 
Um, you know, when we're looking at the behavior, you know, really constructional affection in many situations might be looking at the same exact behavior that a lot of other training programs might be. It might be walking up and, you know, sitting in front of someone, allowing them to, to interact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we're different is in two areas. One is going to more than likely be the consequence that we're providing. And then two is really the way that we're providing that consequence. Right, right. And so, um, you know, as everyone here on the show has, has heard about so far, you know, our consequence that we give for these behaviors is, is interacting with them. We, we pet them. You know, we'll, we'll sit there and we'll level them up whenever they're doing these good behaviors. And that's important from a social situation, you know, from the point that, you know, if we're forcing them into that situation, um, like I said, we don't really know if it's something that's enjoyable. But then also it, it makes it, you know, contingent on receiving this payoff at the end. Mm-hmm. And so if we're putting them in the animal into a situation where they're a little bit uncomfortable, um, you know, that food reward might not eventually be a big enough payoff to engage in it. And they might do their best to escape that situation, or it might possibly even develop into a situation that could be dangerous for either the animal or the people around it. Mm-hmm. And so in this type of a situation using constructional affection, the animal has learned that when they approach people, they get a certain outcome. And so um, we don't ever like to force our animals into an interaction. So if an animal approached a kid, especially in an outreach program, that animal we could safely kind of assume in this moment that they're approaching that individual for some type of affection, some type of interaction that they can get with them. And they also know that they can walk away to end it. Like we mentioned earlier, it really does set up a good communication system where our animals can really effectively tell us if they want that kind of an interaction or if they don't. Because if they approach, we can pretty much assume that they do. If they do not approach, then we can assume that they don't because we're not going to chase them down Mm -hmm. to share our affection with them. Mm -hmm. But then the other big way that we're different is the way that we provide that affection. And we provide it in a way that's that's called uh, conjugately. You know, we will continue to share our affection with them as long as they are engaging in these good behaviors. So as long as they're sitting and lying down, we'll keep loving them up and keep sharing our affection with them. And when we do this, when we give a good reward, and this is actually even the same for food, when we give a good reward for something like sitting or lying down close to us, we don't only just reinforce that sitting and lying down close to us, but we also happen to be reinforcing all of those other behaviors that are related to sitting and being close to us, like getting more cuddly, being more affectionate, resting their heads on us, and generally just getting closer. And, um, and so I see these things as the big powerful element on why to use constructional affection, especially in these situations, as opposed to um, an approach that might be using some type of outside reward or, or payoff for doing the behavior. You know, we're giving them what it is that they want, and we're sharing it in a way that really promotes a positive interaction. And, and it gives the animal a really good way to control that interaction, so to say. So now I would like to share a story from one of the animal shelters that I volunteered at that I think really highlights the applicable value of using this type of an approach, um, especially in a veterinary care setting. And um, in the shelter that I worked in, 
I remember um, watching a couple of the dogs getting their intake shots one day, getting their, their vaccinations so that they could safely be in the shelter. And as I'm sure people listening to the show right now have seen in shelters, um, sometimes dogs get a little bit rambunctious or maybe even a little bit afraid sometimes in these moments. And they might be doing everything they can to escape and get out of that situation. And in this one moment that I was watching, I remember this dog bucking around a lot and the shelter person. And and before I get into this, I just want to stress real quick that all of these shelter staff loved dogs and only wanted to help dogs. And this situation only came, you know, out of, you know, not knowing what to do or a better way in the moment of handling the situation. But the dog was bucking around a lot. And I remember seeing the person trying to like keep the dog still like in between their legs a little bit and keep Mm -hmm. them from jumping up and down and running forward and getting out. And they were also holding the dog by the scruff, trying to keep them still. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind too, that they're only doing this so that they don't accidentally hurt the dog while, you know, poking it with the needle to give the shot. But the dog's jumping around and, you know, not being cooperative at all and the shelter person goes ahead and proceeds to vaccinate the dog but he accidentally stuck the needle through the scruff where it came out the other side and into the meaty part of his hand where you know your thumb attaches to your hand and and he vaccinated himself (laughs) and um and in that moment you know light bulb went off i was like wow i was like you know i think that you know, we could help these guys quickly. Uh-huh. And so what Chase and I started doing was making sure that we were over there to do a little bit of constructional affection with these dogs before they got their shots. And it didn't have to be like a long training session. Mm-hmm. You know, the animals didn't have to go through an extensive training to be prepared for something like this. Um, in fact, we would usually do it while the shelter staff person was just getting the shot ready. Oh, And so just during those, you know, short few seconds or in those couple of minutes, we would be doing constructional affection with these dogs, getting them nice and calm and relaxed. And so these guys would be kind of, you know, um, Jesus used to call it, our instructor used to call it melting. You Mm, know, you see the dog melt into you. Yeah. And so these dogs would be getting comfortable and kind of cuddling with us and And we would kind of start scratching their scruff a little bit. And then the shelter person would come over and just give them that little poke in their vaccination. Mm -hmm. And you might see them twitch a little bit, you know, react to it. But, you know, for the most part, it it wasn't a big dramatic ordeal. And just like you had mentioned in a few episodes ago about taking peepers to the veterinary clinic, you were amazed with how he interacted with them. I was so amazed with how relaxed peeper is as long Mm -hmm. as... As long as the vet and the nurse is touching him. That's right. That's right. As long as he's being touched. Oh, yeah. He was totally liking that interaction. (laughs) And the same thing goes for these guys. You know, um, when you were doing constructional affection, especially in these moments, it it can really do its best to make that moment as pleasant and enjoyable as it can possibly be for both the animal and the, in this case, the shelter staff Mm -hmm. person or or whoever our our veterinary doctor is. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so it was really, really quick. And, you know, and after we started doing this, we would start to kind of um, train all of the other staff people how to do the same thing in that moment. Mm -hmm. And they eventually made like a like a rule of two type of a thing where, um, you know, they always had two people in there. And sometimes if they if they were shorthanded, it would actually be Chase or I. But 
Nonetheless, they would have one person there that would be doing constructional affection with the dog oh. while the elder um, shelter staff person was preparing the, the vaccination itself and getting ready to administer it. And from that point on, no shelter staff people ever vaccinated themselves ever again. That's also great. Yeah, great success. Yeah. <laughs> and so it really did a lot, you know, to, to push that forward, to improve that little area, that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we're going to have to pick up in our next episode, because I can see we're already running short on time, is um, this really did a big, it, it kind of helped fill in a big piece that eventually led to Chase and I being able to carry out the shelter program across the whole shelter. Mm. And we're going to be, when we talk more about the procedures, we're going to talk specifically about how this didn't just help the dogs, you know, get adopted. This didn't just help the dogs with their medical aspect of their lives in the shelter. But this also helped to improve just the day-to-day, moment-to-moment interactions between themselves, the visitors, and the shelter staff. Mm -hmm. And I mean like when people would visit in and out of their enclosures, when their bedding would get changed, when their food and water would get changed, when they would get leashed to go outside and start to see how we actually got that behavior change. And we're going to talk more specifically about the procedures that were involved in that. This marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast or share it with your friend. Feel free to get more information or reach out to us on Facebook, Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, or email us at contact at gmail.com. We hope you are excited to learn more about constructional affection as we talk about the actual procedure in our next episode. If you are eager and want to sneak a peek now, feel free to visit the Construction Affection website at constructionaffection.com. We will put the link in our show notes and it is available in both English and Japanese. Thank you so much today. We are your host. I am Masa. And I am Sean. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companion.